Those of you who are visiting, we're glad you're here. If, if you came expecting a, a group of people who have their act all together, you're in the wrong place. Um, that's not who we are. We're a group of people who we come as we are, and we work to be the kind of people that God has designed and wants us to be. So we're all a work in progress. We're all struggling together. We're all uh, trying to figure out what our next step is that that the Lord would have for us. So we kind of laugh together and cry together and fellowship together and eat together, and we're here to help one another. And um, if, if that's something you're interested in, we would love to have you be here on a regular basis. Today we celebrate a risen Savior. Over 2,000 years ago, this world was changed forever. A man who claimed to be God walked out of a sealed and guarded tomb. And for 2,000 years, Christians have gathered on this day and focused on the fact that he is risen There we go. Now we're awake. Let's try it again. He is risen. risen There we go. Because that's what this day is really, really all about. But I have a question for you this morning. What if it hadn't happened? What if it hadn't happened? Um, I, I don't know if you play the game What If. There's a lot of people who do. There's actually a book called What If. Uh, it's, it was written by a guy by the name of Randall Monroe. Randall Monroe is a web comic. And yes, that is a thing. Okay? And he wrote a book called What If? And what he does in that book is he tackles these bizarre questions and he goes through them scientifically and historically and, and mathematically and he comes up with the answers. Like, the question is, what would happen, to, what would happen if the world stopped spinning? And the answer to that is, it's like four pages of scientific stuff. The bottom line is, most of the world would die within 48 hours. Because the earth spins at about 1,000 miles an hour. And if you immediately stopped it, the winds would continue at that rate from the equator outward until they eventually slowed down. So you would basically be faced with people in the middle of the equator all the way out facing immediately somewhere around 1,000 to 800 mile an hour winds. So basically, if you lived in a bunker, you would be okay. But he spends a whole four or five pages going through all the math to explain to you why this happens. But my question this morning, and it's, by the way, some of you like that what-if thing. You know, you make a decision and you go, what if? Oh, I wish I would have, I could have, would have, should have. And you just beat yourself up over it over and over and over again. Because most of the time, the what if questions never, ever help us. But my question to you this morning is, what if there's no resurrection? Well, here's what's great. The Apostle Paul plays the what if game about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the book, is a chapter about the resurrection. And one of the questions that Paul asks is, what if? What if there's no resurrection? And so we're going to look at that passage this morning, and we're going to actually look at the middle part, and then we're going to go back to the beginning part, and then we're going to try to illustrate it for you. So um, if you've got a Bible, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 12. Um, 
And here's what he says. And by the way, so, uh, seven, times in, uh, seven times in eight verses, he uses this little if thing because he, he wants us to wrestle with it. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Wait, we need to stop here and understand the culture. There, there were two main religious groups at the time in the Jewish world, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees held a lot to the written Old Testament law, but they did not believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they believed in a resurrection and they added a lot of oral law as well as the written law. So they did a lot of the traditions and stuff like that. So while Jesus Christ was on the earth, there was always this big question, is there a resurrection? Is there no resurrection? And they would argue. In fact, some of the questions they asked Jesus, they tried to trick him by asking him questions about the resurrection. Remember the one about, you know, okay, if a guy... If a guy is married and then he die and then his wife dies and he marries another one and then she dies and then whose whose deal will she be in the resurrection? That wasn't a question about marriage as much as it was about resurrection. They were trying to trick Jesus, and so this was a big debate. And this is what Paul says. He says, "Okay, how come some of you say there's no resurrection?" He goes on to say this, "But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised." He said, all right, if, if what we're celebrating this morning never happened, then you need to understand Christ wasn't, hasn't been raised. And notice what he goes on to say. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation. We have no basis for anything we do as believers, is what Paul's arguing. And he goes on and he says, and so is your faith. That Bible that you carry, no reason to carry it if there's no resurrection. There's no point in being here this morning if there's no resurrection. He goes on to say, in addition, we are found false witnesses about God. He said, in fact, when you go out and tell other people about Christ, you're a liar if there's no resurrection. He goes on to say, um, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. He said, look, if you're going to go around and say there's no resurrection, if you're going to go around and say that Jesus Christ isn't raised, then you know what? You're lying to everybody out there every time you tell them about their need for a Savior. And then he goes on, as if that's not enough. Um, he goes on in uh, the next verse, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. All that stuff that you practice, all those little posts that you put on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff that you put on about the Christian stuff, look, forget it. You're just wasting your time. You're just words on a page. Might as well be written by, by who, whoever. You're still in your sins. There's no resurrection. You and I have no way that our sins can, are forgiven. So you sit here this morning still in your sin if there's no resurrection. And notice, therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. You know, all those people that were believers, that, that have died, that you are looking forward to seeing one day? Well, they're hopeless too. They're not going to be there. So you're going to waste your time even looking forward to that because it's never going to happen again if there's no resurrection. And then he goes on to say this. If we have placed our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then it's really sad that all of you in here who call yourselves Christians, who are living your life for Christ, and talking about that's the most important thing in the world, you should be pitied. We should feel sorry for you, is what Paul said. You see, you need to understand this morning, the resurrection is very, very important. 
And it's very important that we understand that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose the third day. It's not enough that he just lives. It's not enough that he dies. It's not enough that he's buried. It's important that he came out of the tomb. Because the resurrection is essential to all, we believe, all that we believe and all that we practice and all that we do. And that's what we celebrate this morning. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, at the beginning of this chapter, and this is a great chapter about the resurrection. The entire chapter is about the resurrection. So I challenge you, if you've never read it, go home and read it. If you have read it, go home and read it again. But listen to what Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and here's what he says. Verse 1, he says, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed it of no purpose. For I passed on to you the most important thing of what I have received. Here's what Paul says. He says, look, you want to know what my life is all about? You want to know what the most important thing that I have learned? You want to know the, the whole thing in a nutshell? Here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He said, you want the whole thing in a nutshell? You want the whole Bible in, 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 in one little compact statement? Here it is. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. That's what... The whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That he was buried, and they rose the third day. That is the most important thing. I'm glad you're here this morning. But if you don't understand that, if you don't make that your own, I'm glad you're here, but you've missed it. You've missed what this season is all about. You've missed what this day is all about. You've missed what the Bible is all about. So I'm going to try something this morning to try to illustrate the Bible's story, if you will. Um, I want to put a couple of parentheses around this this morning because I don't want to be misunderstood here. Number one, what I am doing is not magic. Okay? I'm not doing like some magical hocus-pocus thing up here. This is basic science. It's basic chemistry 101, okay? So, that's number one. Number two, do not try this at home, okay? Um, in fact, I, my, wife was kinda, my wife and I had this big discussion yesterday about, you know, do I, do I like, put on goggles and protective stuff and all of this kind of stuff? So, um, I, I, it's not anything really super bad, but um, I, I want to illustrate it, and I'm going to... Because i got to do this, I also got to try to run that from up here. So it couldn't get more complicated today. It really couldn't, you know. So this is one of those things where I spend, um, I spend a lot of time. Uh-oh, that could be done already. Um, I spend a lot of time praying, saying, okay, God, um, we gotta, we got to hope this thing all works right. Um, basically... Basically, here's what happens, is God, in the beginning, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, 
And part of that was he made man in his image. And one of the reasons that God made man in his image was he wanted to fellowship with man. And God wanted man and, and him to be able to spend time, to walk in the cool of the day. And so God spent a tremendous amount of time with man. But one of the things that you have to understand is that, is that, um, okay, come on. Okay, Josh, go to the next one. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, God didn't want a robot. God didn't want a robot that would just simply do, you know, without thinking. God wanted man to choose to follow him. And so, God created someone who had a free will, the ability to choose. And we know, if you know the story of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, what happened is, sin came into the picture, and sin now enters the picture in the form of Satan, and man has to choose. Does man choose God, who he has been enjoying in fellowship, or does man choose sin? And the Bible is very, very clear that man chose sin. So what happens is, man decides that he wants to choose to follow Satan. And God said, look, you can do anything you want in the garden. Just There's one tree I don't want you to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that Eve was deceived, but Adam made a deliberate choice. And so Adam, in one small little thing, sinned. And so it changed things when sin came into the picture between God and man. Because in the past, God and man were able to have close fellowship. But they can't anymore. Why? Because of sin. So one of the things that you see God doing is God separates himself from mankind. Because man chose this. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all find ourselves in this situation. And the Bible is also very, very clear that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. So what happens is God and man are now separated because of sin. And man cannot get to here. Because God is perfect and holy and righteous. So now they are separated. The thing is, one of the things that happens is we try all kinds of things to get from here to there. One of the things that you'll see people try is they will say, and some people will tell you this, some people will tell you that uh, the way that you get to heaven is that you try to work your way there. We still have a problem with sin. There are other people that will tell you, no, 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 no. It's about religion. You know, you do the church thing. You jump through all of the hoops. That'll get you there. But we still have the sin problem, as you can see. Other people will say money. If you just give your money away or if you give it to a church. Well, have you ever stopped thinking about it for a minute? God owns everything. I mean, he uses precious stones, gold, and silver as building materials in heaven. You really think your dollars are going to impress him? Because you see, no matter what you do, there's still the problem of your sin. 
And it is your sin that is going to separate you and that does separate you from God. And so the Bible is very, very clear. No matter what you do, no matter how you try, it's always going to fall short. It's never going to get you from there to there. But the thing that's amazing is that God has been orchestrating a plan from all of time to take care of this. And God understood that there is no way a person is going to work their way or clean their life up to be able to get to me. So God offers what we call grace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works so that anyone can boast. The idea is that God said, look, if you're going to get from there to here, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. It's going to have to be the grace of God. Because no one is going to be able to get to heaven and be in heaven and say, hey, I'm here because of what I did. God said it's only going to be by grace. So God, in looking at this scene, realized that there was something that he needed to do. So the Bible says that God comes to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ. God wraps himself in human flesh. We know that as the Christmas story, the baby in a manger. And it says that God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God realized that in order to take care of sin, he had to deal with sin. And the entire time that he is here, Satan tries to thwart the plans of God. So every time he turns around, Satan is trying to tempt God. But Jesus never sins. He is sinless. Remember I said earlier that the reason that we die, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life? Here's the problem. Why does Jesus have to die then? See, he never sinned. There's no reason for him to die. But Jesus willingly goes to the cross. He willingly gives his life. He commends his love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, he decides to die in our place. And so one of the things that happens on the cross is that the Bible says that Christ died for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And he was put to death in body, but made alive in the spirit. And one of the things that happens on the cross when Jesus dies is that the sins of the world are placed upon Christ. And so one of the things that happens is that, and at the, I think the moment that this happens, when the, earth goes, when the earth goes dark, when there's an earthquake, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because as Martin Luther once said, God forsaken of God, I'll never understand it. Because you see, at that moment, the sins of the world were placed upon Christ. But he was sinless. He was sinless. Why? Because he was holy and righteous, and so he paid for our sin on the cross with his blood. So we celebrate every day, when we, every Sunday when we have communion. It's the idea that we remember his, his body which was broken for us and his blood which was shed for us. And so... Jesus came so and paid away so that now what happens is everyone now faces 
a choice. The same choice that Adam faced in the garden. Christ or sin. Each one of us is faced with that choice. On what do we do with Jesus Christ? You can decide if you want to try to work your way there. But it's never going to happen. Because it's by grace that you are saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any major boast. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But you see, it has to be. Remember what I said at the beginning? God wants people to choose Him. He's not going to make anybody follow Him. So everyone here is faced with a choice. It's not something that happens automatically. It's a choice that you must make. And when Christ was here, here's what He said. Repent. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Don't get all bent out of shape on this word repentance. All repentance is is a change of direction. You ever left your house and forgotten something and turned around to go back to get it? You repented. Okay? That's repentance. You were headed in this direction. You stopped and you realized, oh, I need to go back this direction. That's repentance. And the Bible says that if, if you're going to choose Jesus Christ, you have to repent. You have to figure out the direction that you're going and stop and say, I'm not going to go that direction anymore. I'm not going to keep going in the direction of sin. I'm going to choose a different direction. And then he talks about the idea that when Christ was here, he said, look, you have to believe. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them right to become the children of God. Believe is not about just knowing something. Believe is about acting upon what you know. It's more than just a head knowledge. The Bible says the devils believes and tremble. So it's belief, genuine belief, is not a knowledge. It's an acceptance. It's an embracing of that. And so Christ was very, very clear that you have to believe in me. That you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt come to know Christ. And then one of the things that happens is that you have to genuinely receive him. And it's the idea of receiving Christ. Um, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in with him and eat with him. It comes to a point where Jesus now stands asking you to choose him. Every day. For some of you, God's been knocking on the door of your heart for years. You want to know what he's going to do? He's going to keep knocking until the day you die. And the Bible is very, very clear. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this judgment. And at that moment, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to stand before God in Christ. Or you're going to stand before God like this. But if you stand before God like this, the Bible is very, very clear. God will say, depart from me, I don't know you. Revelation talks about the idea that death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. Don't don't make any mistake about it. Hell's real. Because you see, here's the idea. If this is heaven where God is, there has to be a hell. You don't get to say there's a heaven, but there's just a nothing. 
No, if there's a heaven, there's a hell. And it's for people who have tried to stand before God in their sin. But here's the incredible thing. You're offered an opportunity. Every one of us is offered that opportunity to have an assurance that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And he says this, I tell you the truth, whoever's hear my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but is crossed over from death into life. You see, here's what happens. When you're faced with this situation right here, and you have to choose between your sin or between Christ, here's the amazing thing. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, an incredible thing happens at that moment. And what happens is we call it the Holy Spirit, but God comes into your life, God comes into your life, and He completely changes you. And the book of Ephesians talks about the idea that you are now placed in Christ. So now here's a question now. Now I die and I face God. Which way do I go? Because you see, I have been made righteous in Christ. I have been forgiven. I have an assurance of salvation. I'm now a child of God. My life is different now. Why? Because Christ is in me and I am in Christ. So now when I die and I stand before God at that judgment day to say, what have you done? Which choice have you made? It's very, very clear. It's very, very clear. And you go, yeah, but you know what? I've done this, Pastor, but what about my sin? Because as much as I will try to live for God, as much as I try to do things for God, what happens is, Often, I, I make a mistake each week and I, and I choose sin. And I choose sin. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. All. You see, the goal is what's your, what, what's your desire each week. What's your passion? Because see, if you really believe all of this, then your goal is to live for God, not to live over here. And every time you're faced with a choice, you do everything you can to live over here. Paul struggled with this. He said, things I want to do, I don't do. And things that I don't do, I, I want to. Paul said, you know, it, it's a constant struggle. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven. And now when I die, when I take my last breath, and when I stand before God, I stand before God in Christ. I stand before God holy and righteous because the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven my sin and I have that assurance that I am a child of God the question is Josh go to the next slide would you um, the question comes down to um, what do you do because the reality of it is you the Bible says and me All of sin and come short of the glory of God. This is how you stand before God. The question is, what choice are you going to make? You know, I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to choose. Well, understand, to not choose is to choose. To not choose is to say, I reject it for now. And that's fine, as long as you get another chance. That's fine as long as you know that you're going to live another day. 
But you don't know that. Your life's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it goes away. There's not a person sitting in here, myself included, who can sit here and say, we know we've got tomorrow. So you're faced with a choice. And that choice is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Josh, go to the next slide. Because you've got to figure out which side you're standing on. You've got to figure out what choice you, have, you are going to make. Jesus offers you a very, very simple solution. Repent, believe, and receive. He's not going to force itself on you. He's going to stand at your life every day and do this. Till the day that your life doesn't exist anymore. And then on that day, you are going to stand before Him. Either way, they're both the same. And you're either going to stand before Him in your sin, to which He's going to have no choice. Believe me, if He kicked His first creation out of the garden because of one little sin, make no mistake, He's not going to look at you and say, okay, yours isn't so bad, come on in. If he came to this earth and gave his life for you, he's not going to look at you and say, okay, you know what, you were better than so-and-so, so I'll let you in, I won't let them in. You have, he has no choice. He has no choice but for you to spend eternity over here. But if, on the other hand, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've repented, you said, I've changed direction, I, I don't want to live that way, I want to live that way. You've genuinely believed in your heart that God has taken care of your sin. And you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now when you die. Now when you die. And you stand before God. What does he say? Welcome. And the thing we long to hear. Well done thou good and faithful servant. It's a choice. It's a choice. Some of you have been brought up in faith traditions and faith backgrounds where you've been taught that it's about what you do. It's about works. That it's about money. And it's about coming to church. Everybody has their stuff. Jesus Christ made it incredibly simple. And the reason he made it incredibly simple is because he wants as many people with him as possible. Don't make a mistake here. It was not cheap. It cost him his life. But he loved you that much. And he was willing to endure things that you and I could never, ever comprehend. Because he loved us that much. But it's a choice you have to make. It's a choice that I have to make. And I want to challenge you because I think, and I think the Bible clearly teaches, it's the most important choice you'll ever make. When I was 16 years old in Detroit, Michigan, it wasn't a service, wasn't anything fancy, just a bunch of teenagers sitting around in a room. But that night, I was sitting in the back, where most teenagers try to sit anyway, and I was sitting in the back, and I really wrestled with my salvation, and I told the guy who was speaking that night, I said, uh, and it wasn't a speaking thing, we were just talking, I said, you know, I don't know that for sure that I've ever put my faith and trust in Christ. And that night, I prayed a very simple prayer. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I know that I need a Savior. And as best as I know how, I want you to forgive my sin, come into my heart, save me, be my Lord and Savior. And on that night, my life changed. On that night, Christ came into my life. I've done a lot of stuff I'm not proud of since then. And a lot of choices where I had to choose this or that, and I chose that, and God forgave me, and we moved on, and, and I've learned. And I struggle every week just like everyone else. But the heartbeat of my life is to please God with what I do. And if I die this afternoon, I stand before God as his child. Not because I'm a preacher, um, not because of anything else, but simply because I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Everyone in here is going to die. And everyone in here is going to stand before God. And on that day, it's going to come down to one question. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Throw up a simple prayer. You're here this morning maybe and you've never ever heard anything like this. Or maybe you've heard it a hundred times and you've realized God keeps knocking at your door but you don't do anything about it. I don't want to leave a day like today and not make sure everyone here understands it. Mainly because I don't want to stand before God and say, yeah, we had a great Easter egg hunt. I want to stand before God and say, Lord, look, you know what? I may not have done a great job at it, but everybody in there knew what you taught. So I'm okay here. Because I want to please my Heavenly Father. And as you sit there, this isn't about coming forward. This isn't about any. This is about you and your heart of hearts this morning praying a prayer like this. And if you don't know how to pray, you can read it off the screen. You don't even have to do it out loud, but it has to be a decision that you make within your heart to repent, to believe, to receive, to make it part of your life. And the Bible says at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and incredible things happen. And God changes you and He starts to make you a new creation. Don't worry about that. He starts to make you a new creation. And He will work on you until the day you die. But that's okay. Because we are constantly working in our lives to be more like Christ. And that's why we gather as a church every week to try to help each other do that. But if you're this morning and you're trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ, I beg you, I beg you, please, please, Understand, God gives you a choice. And each one of us makes it. We've got a couple of things to help you understand it. If you're a website person, go to our website. We have a thing on there about the peace of God. If you're here this morning, there's, there's going to be in the back, there's a little thing put out by our daily bread. It's ten things about Easter. It'll be sitting back there for you to take. But the most important thing is in the back page of it where it talks about your journey with Christ. It talks about exactly what I've talked about this morning. And I encourage you to take it. I encourage you to make sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he was very, very clear. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No 
one, no one, comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. Father, we don't understand why you would love us that much. Or we don't understand why you would face the things that you face here for us. But God, we gather this morning so grateful that you did. And Lord, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in you, may you help us to honor you with our lives this day. May we not be ashamed to call ourselves a child of God. Lord, for those who are struggling, maybe it's the first time they've heard it, maybe they're trusting in something else, Lord, would you help them understand that you are the only way. And Father, may each of us, should this be the last day that we have here, be ready to stand before you as our Lord and as our Savior. And we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen.